With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rock Him Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK Kiley. This is Before the Box Score. We are in North Texas edition. We are a day late, so sorry about that. Someone had to do his job and watch the Cardinals lose to the Dodgers last night. Uh, so it's a late night for BK, but he's still joining us here. BK, how you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic. I appreciate you being flexible, man. Um, unfortunately, I had to watch... What I do believe will go down as one of the better postseason non CS or World Series games of the last decade. Uh, unfortunately, it did not go the Cardinals way, but I've been talking about that for the last six hours on my radio show the last couple of days. I am happy to talk a little bit of Mizzou football with you today. How you doing, man? <laughs> Doing good. Hey, we're just going to switch from one team that uh, scrappily pulled together a, a 20 plus game winning streak. And we're going to talk about one who's. Defense is falling apart and is currently on a two-game skid. Uh, but the good news is that we got North Texas coming into town. It is a G5 team. They don't recruit well. They're not very good. That doesn't mean it's going to be an easy game because, again, they like to run. And if you like to run, that means you can score on Missouri's defense. But there is things that we need to talk about. We recorded on Saturday because we were just so eager to get rid of that game, just get it out of our mouths, move on. And wouldn't you know it, Eli Drinkwitz went out and fired a guy the very next day. Uh, Jethro Franklin, our <clears throat> esteemed defensive line coach, got the axe on Sunday. Eli Drinkwitz said that uh, just wasn't working out, which, duh. <laughs> but uh, you don't give up uh, points, you know, with, with the kind of caveats that are since 
before black people played the sport and just have no changes happen. Like you can't do that. So um, changes did happen and Jethro is no longer employed by University of Missouri football team. The uh, graduate assistant, Al Davis, who used to play for Illinois, used to coach defensive line. He got the bump up to the new interim defensive line coach and then promptly took his boys out to CJ's Hot Wings in Columbia, Missouri. An excellent choice. But here we are. Uh, We got their first casualty of the 2021 season. It's not a huge surprise. He was the last one in. He's certainly the first one out. But uh, if you think this solves the issues with Missouri's defense, (laughs) uh, no. Those are going to stay around for, what, the entire season, correct? Yeah. I mean, the the issues for Missouri's defense are personnel more than anything. Um, I we did say after the game on Saturday that we believed these issues to at this point be big enough that it is worthy of talking about the defensive staff and you can talk about anybody. And, and I think it's at least fair game. And that goes all the way up to the defensive coordinator with Steve Wilkes. This to me was almost like a warning shot across the bow mm-hmm. of Steve Wilkes to say like, hey, nobody's safe. And if this does not get turned around, That includes you, Steve Wilkes. And I know you're making more than a million dollars per year and you're the highest paid assistant coach in the history of the University of Missouri's football program. But you're not completely untouchable. And that that to me was what the signal was from this uh, decision by Eli Drinkwitz and by Mizzou as a whole. I, I don't think that it means anything for the immediate future, though. I think that what you'll see on Saturday from Missouri's defense is not going to look a whole lot different than what we've seen previously. I think what you see from the staff is going to look pretty similar. I am curious, like, what was the impetus for this? We we don't know the answer to that question, and there we probably never will know, honestly. But of all people to fire, the defensive line coach is, is an interesting one. And maybe this is just as simple as they had a, a pretty good alternative in-house because they had a guy that's had that position at a power five level before. So maybe that's as simple as this. But I thought that the hire was a little puzzling to begin with, and it clearly never took shape the way that they expected it to. And now going into the offseason, you're probably going to be looking for, at a minimum, a defensive line coach. And that's the spot where you've had a lot of big time recruits over the last couple of years and a couple of guys that you definitely want to keep in the fold going into next year. Okay. Uh, sorry. I'm, I got like all these questions that are popping up in my head. Yeah. Um, when, when Jethro Franklin was hired, do you, do you ever watch family feud? <laughs> I'm promised this Occasionally, is really, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, like in family feud, They'll go down the line and they'll ask each family member a question. They'll give an answer. And there's always like some, you know, wine mom aunt or like super little brother who says an answer out of nowhere. And it's not funny. It's just very wrong. But like the family goes, okay, okay, yeah. Like you just trying to incur like you don't get it, but you you want them to do well. <clears throat> that was basically my reaction when when it was announced that Jethro Franklin was hired. Like at the time, Eli Drinkwitz gave us no reason to doubt his ability to make hires or really do anything, right? That was that was the, the peak of Eli Drinkwitz experience was, was when these hires were made. I didn't get it, though. I didn't get it then. Certainly didn't get it once we saw the product on the field. Like, we've seen Kobe Whiteside play. We've seen Trajan Jeffcoat play. We've seen them play at elite levels. They are far from that. 
So I know you're asking about the impetus, but like, there's your impetus, right? Like Chuck sure. Franklin took over at least two guys who were pretty good and turned out crap. Like, am I, do you not agree? Do you, do you think he shouldn't have been fired? No, 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 no. Quite the opposite. I'm just curious what, what specifically led to it now and what led to it at that position. Because I think you could make the argument that all of the positions on the defensive side of the ball have been underperforming. Gotcha. Um, so, gotcha. and, and I'm, I'm certainly not against it. If you wanted to fire, if they decided the best decision was to fire Jethro Frank- Franklin, um, th- th- by all means, uh, go, go ahead and fire him. I've, I've got no issues with it. But I, I am just curious, you know, it, it's pretty rare that you see a coach fired in season. And I get it. This is almost a borderline unprecedented loss where you lost 62 to 24 at home. And we went through some of the the milestones that Missouri achieved, if you want to call it that, mm-hmm. by that loss. So I get it. I've got, again, no problem with them firing somebody coming off of that game. But doing so is a large statement. And doing so at that position is a rather large statement. So I do wonder... Is this something that dates back further? I would have to imagine that it does than just the Tennessee game and what had been going on within that specific room prior to the Tennessee game and what had been missing from Jethro and why was he not getting his message across to these defensive linemen? Again, I don't think this is going to change things completely going into the North Texas game. Maybe the results look a little better because it's North Texas and not Tennessee or Boston College or Kentucky, but that is not a direct result of them firing their defensive line coach. That's a talent gap. Um, I, I'm just, I, again, I don't think we'll ever get the answer to this question. I wish we did know, though, why. Why him and sure. why now? Sure. Well, Mr. Franklin, you know, he's 55 years old. He had college experience at Fresno State with Pat Hill. Uh, those Pat Hill uh, Bulldog teams were excellent. They always recruited way better than anybody else in the WAC. And they would, that was the, uh, we'll beat anybody anywhere, anytime Fresno state teams, if you remember those. So like, again, he was operating from a a position of more talent. He went to UCLA for a year. He was at USC for a year. Again, elite recruiting schools. He was at Miami, like Miami, Florida, (laughs) like, like all the talent you could want in Florida, Miami, Florida, so his college experience was always from a position of want, like we just want more talent and we can get more talent. And, you know, you or I BK could get in there and say, um, so you should rush the passer. And those Miami, Florida guys would go, yeah, hell yeah. And like get six sacks and you look like a freaking genius. Right. I always felt like, especially with his, with his bio and his intro, they talked about his time at Oakland with Khalil Mack as if that was, that's it. You don't, Khalil Mack. Okay. Khalil Mack was good without Jethro Franklin and the Oakland Raiders defense underperformed and the Seattle Seahawks defense was fine. This they underperformed with him though. Their defensive line was terrible. It just didn't make any sense. And you spend, you know, from 15 to 20 in the pros, you're always operating with elite team. Like you need somebody who can communicate with college kids and do more with less. I'm not saying Trajan Jeffcoat is a lesser lineman or anything like that, but when you don't have a track record of success and you bounced around the college in the NFL, it was just a curious hire. And so I, someone had to go, someone had to pay the price for what happened against Tennessee. Don't read too much into it. It's just the, the, the severity of the beatdown is why if we had lost 35, 28, this doesn't happen. Probably. 
unless you're correct and like there's something going on that they had to cut ties with, but it probably wouldn't have been after the Tennessee game. It probably would have been at the end of the year. I, I completely agree with you. This was Steve figure it out. And just kind of reading the, um, the gossip mill of coaches uh, in the SEC. Stephen Godfrey is a treasure, by the way. If you don't follow him, please do. He was talking to some uh, SEC assistant coaches, obviously anonymous, obviously unnamed, who said, we can't wait to play Missouri. And we can't wait for it to play them this year because whatever scheme they're trying to do, they don't understand. And we can't wait to play from play them next year because they don't got the dudes to, to play in the SEC. So that's what the opposition thinks. <laughs> um, whether that's true or not, whatever. Um, everyone's got their opinion and who knows what can, do, what can be done with a fresh face in the room. But this doesn't fix the problems. It puts more pressure on Steve, like you said. Frankly, I wouldn't be surprised if Steve gets fired at the end of the year. And you could argue that that's probably, at this point, the right move. I'm with you. Um, I, I am curious schematically if there are any changes because typically the defensive line just kind of does what the defense coordinator wants them to do Mm -hmm. and the defensive line coach will go along with whatever that is right but i do wonder what was there something of a disconnect here potentially between jethro franklin and steve wilkes was this a situation where Jethro was the guy that wanted to play more of the read and react style defense. I, again, I don't know the answer to these questions and I wish we did, but we don't have these answers. Um, and if that was the case, playing an attacking style defense again would probably be good for the defensive line that they have. Cause they're not particularly good at this read and react style. So mm. maybe that would work a little better. Um, I just think in general, in college, with college defensive linemen and the way that college offensive lines are constructed, it's always better to just see ball, get ball. Yeah. And Missouri's trying to do more than that right now. And it seems like they're asking more of their defensive linemen than what they're capable of giving them. So I, I wonder if schematically there will be any changes, whether it be against North Texas or against Texas A&M or even Vandy. There's got to be some kind of a change, and I wonder if it's schematic over the next few weeks. I mean, I want to believe you're right. At the same time... My guess would be that I'm not. See, at the same time, and that's what I was going to say, Like, I know so many times people say, well, just simplify it, or maybe you should just change the scheme up. If you walk up to a football coach you know, week six and say, you should change your scheme. They laugh in your effing face. Mm-hmm. Like They've spent all spring and all fall installing this scheme. This scheme. Like they're not going to, I know defense is mostly effort and just being in the right position, but they're not going to, they're not going to change it in the middle of the season. So I, maybe it is just like, like you said, just push up front, <laughs> like just, just beat your guy. Uh, I, I don't know enough about football, especially defensive football to be able to, to be able to figure that out. But I, I don't think it's going to be a schematic change or if it is, it's just going to be, <laughs> you're doing one thing and one thing only. Um, I don't know. I I'm sitting here and I'm just thinking like, okay, well the best defensive line coach we've had in the past 20 years is easily Craig Kuligowski. He is currently the defensive coordinator at Toledo. Um, he's making probably about $500,000, but you know what? That's not the point. He's not coming back. He's not coming back. He doesn't have any loyalty to this school. There's no reason for him to give up his DC job at Toledo that he's doing pretty well with to inherit a terrible defense at Missouri. <laughs> Like, it's just not going to happen. I've seen Justin Smith's name run out. 
guys, Justin Smith doesn't, he hasn't coached college football, pro football, he hasn't coached anything. What, what part of natural born talent equates I can teach others how to do this? Like, that's not, that's not the case. There's so many names getting thrown around and it's always the, so, the same usual suspects are just tired and just yearning for days of old. That's not going to happen, you all. We, you get why, though, right? Why they want the return to the glory years? I absolutely understand why. Well, not even that. Those are the names that people know. Like, the, the thing about defensive line coaches, like, let, let's peel that peel back the curtain a little bit. You asked me earlier this week, like, would, would I be willing or able to write a, a piece on potential defensive line coaches? And I told sure. you, like, man, I just don't know. I I, I have no idea. It, there are just so few that are noteworthy that we know prior to them becoming candidates at Mizzou. So the, the reason why a lot of Missouri fans name the guys that you're mentioning is because they know the names. They know who Craig Kuligowski is. They know who Justin Smith is. And they know that he's been at least, he has not coached, you're absolutely correct. But he's been around the program in recent years. And he, he's been a guy that has shown his face in front of the players. And so that that gets people thinking, hey, maybe he would be interested in being a defensive line coach. Sure. He might not be, he probably isn't. And the next coach that coaches the defensive line, just like Jethro Franklin, who most Mizzou fans have probably never heard of prior to him being named the defensive line coach, it's probably going to be something like that, where you read the resume and you're like, oh, yeah, this makes sense. And then we find out about six to eight months later whether or not it actually ended up making sense. That's typically how the position coaches go. Right. I mean, I, I get it. If you want names, I can get you names. Give me Elijah Robinson out of A&M, Texas A&M. That dude's awesome. He turns out he's worked with Miles Garrett before. He's turned out. But why is he leaving A and M? Well, again, that's the thing. Money, baby. <laughs> why would you leave A and M? Although A and M's in a skid right now, Jimbo's making ninety bigillion dollars a year. Like, man, who knows what's going to happen? Um, you know, if you look at, oh, let me just pick one out. Like Sion Paua at Utah, who again, that's a skidding team. Defense isn't the problem. He always turns out NFL defensive lines. You can look at him. Oh, for sure. <laughs> You can look at Clint Slun at, at Virginia. Like you, there, there are guys out there. You got to find the right amount of money for me though. I think really the conversation is who are you going to get for DC? And I hate to do that. You know, week, uh, six of the 2021 season, but it just, it just feels inevitable unless some miracle happens in the back half of this season when it gets harder, by the way, when the teams get better, uh, unless some miracle happens, I just, I just don't see it. And, and for me, for me, if I'm Eli Drinkwitz, first guy I'm calling, and I don't know if you've heard of this guy, BK, but Kane Womack, who is currently the head coach at South Alabama. Have you, are you familiar with this guy at all? I'm not familiar with him, but I am familiar with South Alabama. So Kane Womack came up as a DC in Fresno State with, um, oh crap, I'm blanking on his name, uh, Jeff Tedford. Uh, he inherited a terrible Fresno State team, hired Kane Womack, and they were winning 10 games. Then he went to Indiana last year. Remember how good Indiana was mm -hmm. last year, especially yeah. with defense. He gets the South Alabama job. Thanks to our friend Jamal Brooks, who tweeted out late uh, Wednesday night, about or Tuesday night, about how great South Alabama's defense is, which they are. They gave up big plays like a sieve, but they are really good at shutting down pretty much everything else. Kane Womack is a great defensive mind he's also currently 
making $700,000 as the head man at South Alabama. Now, I know Steve Wilkes is making a million. Maybe we don't want to spend that much on another DC. I get it. But uh, I think we could afford him. I don't know if we can afford the buyout. Do you know where Womack was born? Uh, Do I know where he was born? No, I do not. Springfield. Look at that. He also went to high school in Fayetteville, so hey. he he's like not he wasn't he didn't grow up in the area, but he was born in the state of Missouri. So there is like an actual local tie here as well. It's not just a random uh, thought that came to mind for you. It actually does have a local tie. That's an interesting one. And that, that that's the kind of thing like whoever the next defensive coordinator is at Missouri, if if we end up going down that path and it feels right now like we will. Mm-hmm. It's going to have to be somebody that is the defensive version of Eli Drinkwitz. Like, and what I mean by that is a young, innovative defensive mind mm-hmm. that can bring new ideas to that side of the football. Because Missouri's not winning on defense with talent. Not in this conference. No. You're winning because of scheme. And if you can go get somebody that is interesting and innovative on that side of the ball, the way that Eli Drinkwitz is on the offensive side of the ball, and they can sell their vision to recruits, that's how you're going to win on that side of the football. So they, they've got to go find their guy on that side of the ball. It, it's similar to if you're an NFL fan, Sean McVay had to do this a couple of years ago on defense after he fired Wade Phillips, who was seen <laughs> as a really good defensive mind and has been for years in the NFL. Mm-hmm. He went out and found a guy by the name of Brandon Staley who is now the defense or now the head coach rather of the LA chargers. He was outstanding. It's like 35 years old. He was coaching D D two football like five years ago. And now he's a head coach in the NFL and he was found and plucked into the defensive coordinator job with the Rams. He was outstanding. He ended up getting a head coaching job. That's what we need to see from Eli Drinkwitz this time around. Mm-hmm. Got to get an innovative. I, you know, whether it's, NFL, whether that's D2, whether it's high school, I don't care. Somebody who knows how to do more with less and is creative and energetic. You absolutely nailed it. King Womack checks a lot of those boxes, and he's also are relatively affordable. So that that is my <clears throat> that would be my personal vote. That's doesn't mean it's gonna happen, but just something to keep an eye on. And hey, watch South Alabama. They are they are a lot of fun. Um especially on defense, especially with our boy Jamal Brooks. They are a fun team to watch. Uh, so, but you know, Hey, we are, we are a Missouri podcast. We still are stuck with this team and this staff for the rest of the season. Seemingly unless something terrible happens, but um, let, let's, let's hit on recruiting real quick. It wouldn't be a, a podcast if I didn't talk about recruiting for just a little bit. We have uh, officially official news. Burr, burr, burr. Luther Burden is going to be at the North Texas game and <laughs> Sam Horn's going to be there too. That's officially confirmed. So this would be a really good game to win. But regardless, if you run into either Luther or Sam, don't talk to them. Just wave and say, hi, give them an M I Z. Let the, uh, let us as a, as a fan base, talk to them. You don't want to be creepy and, and, and creep on them or anything like that. But like, I hope that it's a good atmosphere. It's three o'clock. It's a little bit later than what we're used to. So you can get, uh, get your buzz on. You can have a good time. You should win. And, uh, hopefully Luther and Sam see something that they like. And, uh, what is it? The 16th, right? October 16th is when he's committing. So it's coming close. 
Uh, the 16th, 19th, I think it's the 19th, if 19th? I'm not mistaken, okay. is when he's, he's true. Something, something like that. Uh, he's going to be at Georgia on the 16th. Oh, that's right. And yeah. then he's going to be committing right. the following week. So it's this is huge man luther burden is the biggest recruit of this year's class i think the most important recruit in this year's class as we have discussed is sam horn because you can just have more impact um as a quarterback than you can as a wide receiver but the momentum that you potentially get the statement that it makes for you to beat head-to-head in a recruiting battle for a five-star like luther burden uh for you to beat georgia in that recruitment is a really big deal this is the one and we are now just about a week and a half away from his potential uh commitment date it's getting real man it's getting real and he's gonna be on campus and he's gonna determine whether or not mizzou is the place that he wants to go i will say this i i don't know how much this this visit matters and i know that i i feel bad kind of downplaying it but Luther Burden knows what Missouri's all about and it's good yeah. that he's coming on campus again and that he can potentially meet more of the guys that are gonna maybe be part of his class but burden knows what mizzou's all about the real weekend to keep your eye on is what happens the weekend of the 16th and if he ends up leaving georgia and doesn't have a whole lot of glowing statements about them that that'll make me feel a lot better but it's good it's good to have him on campus this week week nonetheless i'm just i'm gonna sit here and just pick at his choices here because if you want to go pro as a wide receiver in the NFL, you go Alabama or Ohio State, right? Like, Georgia's good. They are the best team in the nation right now, but that is, they don't really put a lot of receivers in the NFL. I mean, obviously, in, in the history, yes, but like, recently, that's not been their bag. So I kind of feel like if I wanted to like for sure be a pro in the NFL as a receiver, I'd go to Alabama. Alabama's in his final three. Mm-hmm. If I want to build something, be a part of something, kind of be a legend, and then also just so happen to be the best player on a team that's in a league as you know as as elite as as the SEC, I'd go to Mizzou. Well, Vanderbilt, but Mizzou. Um, to turn that thing around, stay local and, and do all that. So I I, mean, I don't know what he wants. I I don't know. I'm fairly confident he wants to be a pro. I don't know mentally what he wants from his program, but ah, am I, am I, I'm just making stuff up why he's not going to pick Georgia at this point. It's stupid, but I'm just, I'm sticking to it. I think this is pretty simple. Um, and, and this is me psychoanalyzing a guy that I've never met, never talked to, don't know anything about, but <laughs> my assumption would be based on the, the programs that he's giving serious consideration to right now, which appear to be Georgia and Missouri. It's a question of, do I go to the best program, Georgia, or do I go to the program that's close that my parents can go watch me? Yeah. And if if the latter is enough of an emotional pull, that will outweigh the potential logical pull that pulls him to Georgia. And yeah. I, I think that's where, if I had to guess, we're at in this recruitment right now. Yeah. And if anyone's thinking, oh, well, he can start here. Guys, he can start anywhere. He's that good. Yeah. Um. So I I don't think that's an issue, but yeah, we'll see. Along the recruiting lines, and this is a little uh, stickier of a situation, but it just popped up on the Twitter timeline right before we recorded. Um, so I figured you know we'll, we'll we'll briefly touch on it, even though we don't really have a lot of information here. Uh, Dave Matter tweeted out 
that um, DJ Wesselak, who is the the four star defensive end from um, from Boonville, recently DJ has been warming up to Mizzou, and kind of the the rumor around that has been that he's not getting the committable offers he thought he would get out of state. That was one of his big things he wanted to get out of. Missouri. He wanted to go to a school kind of somewhere else to get a different experience. And it sounds like he wasn't getting feedback in a, in a situation where he could go and for sure get a scholarship and play. So he had been warming up to Mizzou a little bit more. Well, Dave Matter retweeted actually Ben Arnett. Let me give correct credit here. Um, and this is from KOMU eight in Columbia. Uh, they had learned that Boonville star and Missouri recruiting target DJ Westleg is facing assault and harassment charges, making him ineligible for the high school football season. This explains his absence from last Friday's game versus Osage. Uh, so that is obviously something that's going to have some programs turn away from him as well. Obviously, you're innocent until proven guilty. We don't know what these charges stem from. We don't know what this is going to lead to. We have no information outside of that. But uh, that explains maybe why he's a little bit more warm, warming up to Mizzou. And it also might just be a complication in his recruitment going forward. So there it is. Yeah, the, these kinds of situations are really difficult to comment on in any sort of an intelligent way because we just don't know what happened here. Um, if this is anything serious and it is proven that he did something horribly wrong, potentially, he should never end up at Mizzou and mm. he should probably not play college football. If this is something that clears up within the next month or so, and he is still offered an opportunity at Mizzou, I hope he goes on to have all the success that he can have. And I I just don't know. I, I don't know what's going on here. If this is something super serious, then he shouldn't play at Mizzou. If it's not, then I, I'm going to trust that the people that are in charge are doing their due diligence right now to make sure. sure that they know exactly what they're getting. If they bring him on campus. Yep. Do your homework. Be informed. Mm-hmm. You don't want, well, I'm, <clears throat> I'm not going to say anything more. Just make sure that you're, you're doing your homework and yeah. if he's good and he's clear and he wants to come here, we'll take him. If not, we will move on. But just an interesting development uh, that happened right before we jumped on the show here that we pass on to you. Um, obviously you can fire and follow in our net, Dave matter. You can follow us. We'll, we'll let you know anything that we hear as time goes on. Also in kind of bummerville news, let's talk about injuries and oh my God, BK, I'm going to get on my soapbox again and I'm sorry in advance, but we heard yesterday, Wednesday that Enos Rakestraw is out for the year. Well, out indefinitely, assuming the year with an ACL tear. <clears throat> that he suffered on um, Tuesday's practice, if I remember correctly, Tuesday's practice. So that that sucks. Uh, obviously, we have lots of other corners that can play. You're curious how Ish Burdine now fits in the rotation, or if Chris Abrams Strain bounces out and Chris Sheeran gets to play more. Like I don't know. There's a lot of schematic stuff that goes into that, and whatever. But it comes back to my point that actually goes hand in hand with something else that Drinkwood said last night. And that Mookie Cooper is 100% ready to go. He is fine. I'm just... BK, I'm, I don't believe him. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't trust his judgment on these things. This is, this is a Eli Drinkwitz who, who 
yes, I'm sure was cleared by the doctors and obviously Mookie wanted to play, but he pushed him out there when he couldn't be 100%. Enos Rakestraw said that he had been battling this knee injury since Kentucky. Since the Kentucky game. So he's running out there on a bum knee. And again, cleared by the doctor. He wants to play. Okay. But like, this is avoidable. This is avoidable. And it also explains a lot of, frankly, Enos is uh, dogging it on a couple of plays against Tennessee. So, like, I'm, I'm not saying, I'm not saying Drinkwitz is doing anything nefarious. I'm not claiming that he's putting these kids into danger. What I am saying is that he apparently has either this incredible need to win right now, the pressure to win right now, or he has an inability to tell his players, no, I'm not going to play you. And so Enos is out, you know, Realist George is out, Darius Robinson's out, obviously Kai Montgomery is out. There are a lot of guys who are out who haven't played, including Travion Ford with Achilles, and he was out there for a little bit too. But like at this point, BK, I just, I don't trust him to do the right thing with players' health, and it's probably not fair, but just based off of this Two-year sample size and these player sample sizes, I'm, I have reached that point. Talk me off the edge. I think there's some fairness to that. Like, I cover the Cardinals here locally in St. Louis. And any time that they come out with any sort of injury news, I assume that they're wrong. And they've earned that. Like, when a pitcher comes out of a game and they say, we're confident and we are cautiously optimistic that this is not going to be something severe. We're going to put him on the 10 day IL and we believe that he'll be back right afterwards. I always assume that the guy's done for the year because that <laughs> more often than not ends up being the case. So this is not exclusive to Mizzou sure. in terms of them underestimating how severe an injury is. And I think a lot of that goes back to the mindset of being a top end athlete. A lot of these guys underestimate how hurt they are. Mm -hmm. Like I would have to imagine Mookie Cooper probably told the coaching staff, man, I'm fine. I, sure. I can play. I can go out there. I can do this. It's fine. And then when they looked at it with their imaging or with their testing, whatever they ended up doing, they found that there was nothing structurally wrong, like nothing that could be severely impacted by him going out there and playing. So he went out there and played and he was clearly not effective in his role. I would imagine the same was probably true of Ennis Rakestraw. I don't know if he said anything to the coaches. I don't know if they knew that he was hurt beforehand. I know that he said on Twitter that he was hurt beforehand. I have no idea how severe it was. I don't know if that was a ACL injury or if that was an overcompensation situation that resulted in an ACL injury. And I do think that is something that we need to be careful of when we read into tweets from 20-year-olds who are snapping back on uh, against fans on Twitter. Like sure. we just don't know what the genesis of some of these things are. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to read too much into that, but if you're telling me you're having a tough time believing a million dollar program about what the injury status is for some of their players. Yeah. I'm more than happy to believe that because I'm in the same boat, man. I cover a team that does that every single day. It's just someone's got to be the adult in the room and say, look, hey, I got to win games. That includes future games, too. And if we're, you know, if you're not really going to be able to contribute at 100 percent, I don't want to push you out there. Now, there is the argument of transfer portal. You don't want to 
sit a guy and have him get pissed and say, well, I can play, man. And then at the end of the year, he hits the portal and goes somewhere else. I get it. I get it. But if you're doing your job and you're explaining why, why, what you're doing is what you're doing, giving them a reasonable explanation. I always, I know it's not always going to work with a young guy that, okay, that's fine. But someone's got to be thinking of their, of their long-term health too, and, and how they can contribute in the bigger picture. And I just, uh, I don't want to see guys out there at 70% because this sort of thing happens, especially in football. So it's just, it's frustrating. It's very frustrating to see. And I, I don't know the story. It's just, this is me reading it from the outside. I could be completely wrong. I understand that, but it's, we're at two, two is a pattern. So I, I don't know what's going to happen in the future. Obviously Rake Straw is going to probably miss the rest of the season. He needs to get better. That's going to be putting pressure on all the other corners and all that stuff that's going to happen. But uh, we obviously wish him the best. Hopefully he heals up and, um, I don't know. Here we are. Just just another kick in the nuts for the 2021 season. Um, in, in terms of what it means for Mizzou on the field, though, I am really curious how they end up lining up because I I think what you could see is potentially their best defensive alignment actually playing on the field more now. And I I'm not trying to make light of this injury. Like I hope Rakestraw returns next year and is fantastic for Mizzou. Um, and ends up going on to have a, a tremendous career as a Tiger. I, I hope all of that ends up still being the case. But I have believed since day one that the best two corners on this team are Caleb Evans and Allie Green the fourth. Mm-hmm. And Green had his highest snap count of the season last week. Now, only 16 of them came against the pass, because why would you pass against Missouri right now? <laughs> so you didn't really get to see a whole lot from him. But I, I really do think their best defensive alignment has a Caleb Evans and green outside. And I think they should put Sean Robinson in the slot, especially right now when they have so much trouble against the run. And then you can put Chris Abrams drain out there on obvious passing downs, but Sean Robinson's a better run defender right now. So if you could go with those three guys as your corners and then slot defenders right now, I, I think that's your best defensive alignment. And then if you could bring in Martez Manuel into the box as well, now I think you're cooking with gas a little bit, and suddenly you're you're really putting together what is your best defensive front as well. But they're not going to do that. Well, I mean, Sean Robinson has seen a ton of of snaps. He's got the fourth highest snaps uh, of the defensive backfield. Uh, Didn't last week. Last week he only played 31 snaps. Right, but for the season he's at 122. The only yeah. defensive backs who have more, Jalen Carley's, uh, Martez Manuel and Caleb Evans. Well, that's because they haven't, they, they didn't know early on that they were going to play the two best corners on the team. Which was <laughs> right. Strange. I Very didn't odd. understand it. Very but. odd. Um, but no, I, I agree with you. Sean Robinson, our, our converted quarterback is a much better run defender um, than, than Chris <laughs> Abrams drain our converted wide receiver. Okay. There you go. So yes, again, injuries lead to opportunities for other players. That's just flat out how it works. I do hope Allie Green gets back on the field more. Love to see him in the starting rotation. I don't know if that means Ish Burdine sees a little bit. I don't know if that means, gosh, I don't know, DJ Jackson sees the field a little bit more. Dalen Carnell, who is beyond me, can't find the field. Like, that gives you a lot of options. Now, I I feel like a Caleb Evans and, and Allie Green are going to suck up most of the snaps uh, for the corner spots. If, if, 
of course I thought that going into the season and look at, look at me, I was totally wrong. So, uh, but, but it is going to be curious what the rotation is going to be and kind of along those lines, we'll just get into this. Eli Drinkwood said on Tuesday, uh, we talked about the, the lack of depth chart that he was not going to put one out. And I wrote about this uh, on the site on Rock M Nation that it feels like kind of just reading the tea leaves. We here at Rock M feel like that was a statement of I don't have any confidence in the guys I'm currently trotting out there. We're just going to see who wants it the most. And then, of course, it's Rake Straw gets injured. So that's one one less person who's going to be out there. But I don't know what to think about this, BK. Part of me thinks, okay. Yeah, he's going to actually open this up. He's actually going to put some guys on the field. We're going to see Will Norris. We're going to see Dalen Carnell. We're going to see DJ Jackson. We're going to see, you know, Kai Wingo get starting level snaps. Like, that's what I think. At the same time, and this goes back to the injury thing, it kind of feels like Eli Drinkwitz is operating from the I need to win as many games as possible right now. So part of me is like, okay, prove it. And I'm really curious to look at the snap counts because I kind of feel like even if, even if he switches it up, especially on defense, and we get to see a lot of new faces, North Texas is hanging around. I get the feeling he's going to put the starters back out, the starters as we know them, back out there and ride with them to a victory. So it's all talk right now. I'm just really curious what that translates to once we get to game time. Okay. Serious question on the defensive side of the ball in particular, because that's where the majority of the issues have taken place. Mm-hmm. Who are your options? Like, no. If you did, if you did go with, you know what, we're throwing everything at the wall. Let's see what sticks. Like Trajan Jeffco is going to start. Should he? Yeah. He's got seven He's still- tackles on the year. I know I went back and I actually wrote a piece on this for rockmnation.com. Like what happened to Trajan Jeffcoat? Why is he not producing? He has played pretty darn well and they are running away from him a lot. They're chipping a lot against him They're, he He's playing basically the same that he did a year ago. And we probably overestimated how good he was last year because a lot of his sacks were pursuit sacks as opposed mm-hmm. to winning right off the line of scrimmage sacks. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're probably underestimating how good he's been this year because he doesn't have as many of those because teams frankly aren't throwing as sure. much against Missouri as mm-hmm. they did a year ago. Jeff Coates, not the problem up front. Um, other than that, though, like, okay, go ahead and put Makai Wingo out there. I got no problems with that. But then you've got to start Whiteside or Byers on the other side because Robinson and Rayless George are both hurt. Mm-hmm. So what? that doesn't change anything inside. Who are you putting at defensive end? Isaiah McGuire, Chris Turner, Johnny Walker? They're already seeing a bunch of snaps at defensive end. So it's just it's hard for me to believe that they're going to really change up a whole lot because there's not a whole lot of guys that aren't getting snaps that should. Right. I mean, we talked about this last week, like the the defensive line is maxed out. Everyone who can get in the rotation is in the end. The only places you can really look at it as linebacker where Chad Bailey and Jamie Petway have got like, you know, 60 combined snaps between the two of them. And you have apparently Damian Wilson was great in fall camp. Whatever. Will Norris has seen some plays. Whatever. But that's that's it. And then for defensive backs, you know, the safeties aren't really the problem. They make a lot of tackles because they have to. The corners aren't really a problem. No, they're not great at run defense. But why are you asking your corners to play run defense? Oh, because your run defense sucks. So, like, it's it's a lot of issues. I understand that. But 
I, I know that basically anyone who could see the field could, and then the offensive side isn't the answer, but you don't just, well, the only reason college football coaches say anything to the press is to recruit and tell, talk to their team. I understand that. And so maybe this was just a public challenge to his team to, you know, man up for lack of a better term, show me what you got. Cause I'm not, you know, I'm not just going to trot you out there for whatever, but I don't know. I just kind of feel like we're going to see the same 16 because it is really just 16 guys who are seeing rotation right now on defense. I don't think that's really going to change. I'd like to see some more people and North Texas is a good team to try that against. But I just, I mean, yes, you can't put anybody else out there because you're already putting them all out there. That is true. But also I think he's just going to stick with the same 16 man rotation. Once we see the snap counts at the end of North Texas. I think so, too. If there's a spot where you could switch it up a little bit, it's linebacker, and they have shown no inclination to do that. So I, I'm i going to assume that they're not going to. Like I, If I had to guess, this is a lot of talk, and at the end of the week, they're going to come to the determination, whether it's real or not, hey, our starters are still the ones that are the best players. <laughs> I'm not saying that's not going to be the case. Like I, 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 I'm actually kind of growing to the fact that, yeah, this might be it. Yeah. Especially after what we saw against Simo. Then again, JJ Hester wasn't getting any kind of rotation in the first couple games. Did well in Simo, and now I see him on the field. So maybe, maybe somebody gets a shot. Maybe somebody shows something in practice this week. I don't know. But can I just make one one click one quick assessment on this? What? Don't play a guy who hasn't been playing. At a position that he's never played before. Oh God! Yeah, <laughs> like, no, 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 no. Let's just go ahead and avoid the Jatorian Hansford playing middle linebacker. You didn't situation. like that. You didn't like that at all. <laughs> no, we can go ahead and avoid that. But if you want to play Chad Bailey at linebacker, all right. I, I mean, why not? At this point, I, I'm here for it. Um, if you want to see Arden Walker get some more snaps at defensive end, okay, let's find out. I, I got no problems with that. If you think Jelani Williams is deserving of some more snaps, okay, I I, I don't know that that's going to be yeah, the answer because yeah. he's taken as many bad routes to the running back as anybody else, seemingly. Mm-hmm. Um, but go for it, man. I At this point, I think the problem is there just aren't a lot of answers. Um, but just whatever we do, no more of the defensive linemen at linebacker uh, proposition. Let's go ahead and avoid that moving forward. I mean, props for being creative, but what? What? <laughs> literally, literally just running into the line. It was... <clears throat> okay, we've talked about this. I don't need to rehash it. You, wa- you watch the game four times, and you start picking up on things, and then you and I talk about things, and then you start seeing it, and you can't unsee it. And you're like, this is so stupid. Oh, my God. Anyway, so there is a game this week. It's against North Texas. Ah, uh, North Texas is bad. That is my professional opinion. Their defense is actually pretty good. <clears throat> they're good at stopping the run. And they're really, really good at standard downs. That's any first down that's second and uh, second and eight or shorter. And then third and fourth and fifth, uh, third and fifth or fourth and fifth and shorter. Uh, so they do really well when you're kind of keeping up with the chains. They do tend to fall apart when you throw the ball and well, Tennessee game aside, Missouri's been pretty good at throwing the ball accurately. And um, so I think that this is going to be something where you see Tyler Beatty less in a, 
you know, oh, I'm going to run it 20 times and more of a, I'm going to catch it 15 times and also sneak in a couple of runs here and there. Uh, but then the North Texas D, uh, offense is bad pretty much at everything you can possibly think of. They are extremely way, way, way worse at passing and they are a humble 91st in running the ball. But guess what? So is Central Michigan. In fact, Central Michigan's rushing rate right now is 93rd in the country. And we all saw what they did to Missouri's defense. So North Texas runs the football a lot, though. They do. Like, I'm not saying they're good at it. I'm saying they run the football a lot. <laughs> yes. So like top 20 in the country run the football a lot. They've also uh, I was on the podcast for a North Texas uh, podcast earlier this week. And apparently they've switched up from Jace Reuter, uh, the North Carolina transfer to Austin Ani, who was a former uh, minor league baseball pitcher who's 28, uh, 28 year old senior. If I remember correctly, Good. he has a 42% completion rate. So I don't think they're really going to be throwing the ball all that much. And even if they do, that's going to be super stupid. So here we are G five team he runs the ball. We, we hate these sort of things. If you win, you're supposed to win. If you lose, what the heck? If you win close, what the heck? We thought you were SEC. Although I will say Missouri is in the portion of the season right now, given everything that's happened, that it doesn't matter. Uh, do whatever it takes to win. I don't know who you trot out there. I don't care what kind of scheme you run. I don't care as long as you win. And um, yeah, that's basically going to be my uh, my company line for the rest of the season. I don't know what to make of North Texas. Because they played, their season is so weird. They play Louisiana Tech really tight. Yeah, but Louisiana Tech only plays one possession games. I know, but Louisiana Tech's good. <laughs> like they're and fine. They played really well against NC State and SMU yeah. and Mississippi State. Yeah, they they've they've punched up. This year is what is what I'll say. There you go. And North Texas played them well. Mm -hmm. And then they got their butts whipped against UAB and SMU this year. Mm -hmm. And SMU is like legitimately a really good football team this year. UAB's solid. They're pretty but good. Shouldn't shouldn't be beating them by a score of 40 to six. No. If what we saw against North uh, against Louisiana Tech is real. So which team are they? Are they the team that got beat 40 to six against UAB? Or are they the team that played a close game against Louisiana Tech? I legitimately don't know the answer. What I am concerned about is that they do the thing offensively that you don't want teams to do. Like if you went into this game and they were a team that has a lot of variance and their variance is because they're a high volume passing team. I think that's fine. And Missouri, I would feel really good about in this game. Their variance is on the running game. And the variance is because of the efficiency, not because of their will to establish the run. They want to run at all times. Last week, they threw for 79 yards. The week before that, their leading passer had 65 yards. Mm -hmm. They don't throw the football. They're willing to line up and run the ball 50 times in this game, if that's what it takes. I don't like that, man. No, I don't. I don't like that against this team. And so I am much less confident going into this game than I feel like I should be because Missouri's better. They are clearly the better football team and they should win this one big. But North Texas does this thing that scares me against Missouri's defense. And it it makes me wonder if they're going to keep this closer than they should. 
They absolutely will. They absolutely will. DeAndre Torrey, get to know that name right now. DeAndre Torrey, he's North Texas running back. On the season, he has 91 rushes, 516 yards, and four touchdowns. Do the quick math. That's 5.7 yards per carry. Mm -hmm. Also, just to really rub it in, he averages on outside runs 5.9 yards per carry, and on inside runs, 6.6. Uh-oh. The offense is really good at giving him some space. He averages about three yards uh, before contact and then three yards after contact. Like, this dude is going to make you cry. Just full stop. We are going to be gnashing our teeth and wailing and going, why, God, why, as DeAndre Torrey goes for another 75-yard gain off the right up the middle uh, as our defensive line gets slowly evaporated and takes the linebackers with them. So this is going to be uncomfortable. This is going to be no fun. You just got to hope that at this point, the defensive line sees this as a personal challenge. Yeah, I'm going to go intangible on you. I mean, you got to hope the defensive line gets pissed that they lost their dad and they want to take it out on North Texas. Uh, so that's that's really all I got for you. The offense needs to keep up, which I'm assuming they will, but you never know in these kind of situations. And when someone's, you know, when someone's buttocks gets a little tightened uh, as a team hangs around for too long or longer than you think. So this is, it's just going to be a crappy, uncomfortable game for 60 minutes. And God, can you believe we watched this for entertainment? Unbelievable. I, I hate everything about this game. <laughs> I, I feel like I've said that about too many games on the schedule this year, which yeah. tell you about the way that Missouri used to schedule games. Um, there is, there's no upside to this game whatsoever. And there is a hell of a lot of downside. Yep. And I don't love that Luther burden and Sam Horn are going to be there for it, but this is where we're at. Um, I think Missouri wins. I'm, I'm pretty confident in that. Yeah. That, that Missouri will win this game. Yeah. I'm not confident they're going to cover the spread. This is a 17 and a half point spread. Missouri is a 17 and a half point home favorite. The current point total would imply that Vegas believes this game will end Missouri 43, North Texas 26. I, I think this is like a 30 to 41 type of a game. That that feels about right to me. I think Missouri's going to score. I, I think they're going to they're going to be able to move the ball not at will, but pretty close to it against North Texas. I don't feel good about Missouri's defense in this game at all. Yeah, I don't. Well, I mean, when have you? When's the last time you felt good about the Missouri defense? That's fair. Twenty nine was it even twenty twenty? I feel like I should feel confident about Missouri's defense going up against North Texas. You should, and I don't. You should. Um, also, this is the sixth fastest team in the country. We just played the first fastest, so that's cool in terms of tempo. Yep. Good. Yep. I'm thinking like 38-24 Missouri. I think they're going to, you know, kind of like last week. They did keep the possessions low. It's just Tennessee scored on every single possession that they had. Um, so I think they they can mostly negate what North Texas wants to do from a tempo standpoint. Also, this defense is probably going to give them a lot of yardage. It's just, you know, do you start pressing because you're like, well, we got to make a play because the defense sure, certainly isn't going to do it. I, I don't know, but I'm, I'm going to say 38-24. Yes, that would not cover the spread, so I would, I would not take the points on that. Or I would take, I would take North Texas in that situation. It's just going to be a crap game, and I think most of these games are being crap games going forward. But you just hope at the end, you know, the three and a half hours of heartache and 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 
indigestion that she suffered for ends up with a W at the end. So welcome to uh, Missouri in 2021. Oh, I hate, I hate that we love this team. <laughs> just what you, it was you, right? You talked about Shawshank Redemption crawling through the yeah. tunnel of crap. Yeah, we're to get to the other side. We're, we're fully in the crap tunnel right now. That's, that's where we're at. So, Hey, tune in and watch the game. It's going to be great. Uh, we'll have all your coverage for you. Jeez. Uh, sorry to be so negative. It's just, I don't know. The cool thing the is the offense we, has been better than people probably think the offense so has been year. better. And you know what? We got some awesome recruits that could potentially be joining up next year to solve some of the problems. So that's, that's cool and good. It's not all doom and gloom. I promise. If you want to read some positive, go to rockmnation.com. Yeah. And I wrote about some of the recruits that could potentially help Missouri next year and why the disappearance of Trajan Jeffcoat is not as much of a disappearance as you probably think. And it's more about what opposing teams are doing than what Trajan Jeffcoat is doing. So there, there's your positives for today, friends. There you go. And that's that's why we pay you the big bucks, BK. To be positive, because yeah. I'm just a mess. So that's going to be it. Um, I don't know. Any any other positive nuggets you can drop on us, or are you completely spent at this point? Missouri plays Vanderbilt in three weeks. That's going to be cool. <laughs> Vandy's awful. That's pretty much what I got, man. Yeah. Uh, can't tell you anything else. I, I'm i hopeful that Missouri beats the spread against North Texas, and I am uh, not believing it, but I'm hopeful. I hope they beat North Texas. That's where I'm at. There you go. So we will talk. We'll come to you uh, Sunday. Uh, We'll we'll give it some room to breathe. Who knows if someone else is going to get fired after this one. So let's let it let it sit for a little bit. But we'll come back to you on Sunday. Tell you everything that we saw about the game. But that's going to be the show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. You can leave a comment or you can rate us. We love all types of feedback from you guys. You can follow us on Twitter. I am at Nate G. Edwards. He is at BK Sports Talk. And of course, you can follow the Rockin' Flagship at Rockin' Nation. And you can listen to BK on the radio in St. Louis, 101 ESPN, 10 in the morning, 10 in the afternoon. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, NYZ. See you.